we needed to start gathering that sort of data to, you know, figure out operationally what to do, what needed to be done, and also be able to eventually share that data with the public to say, hey, we're reopening schools and this is what's been cleaned and this is either these are the procedures we're following and here's the data. You just heard from Levi Cecil, a GIS specialist for Portland Public Schools. In this episode of the Field Notes podcast, we talk with Levi about the GIS solutions he developed to keep students safe during the pandemic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Field Notes podcast. Today, we are joined by Levi Cecil, who, if you listen to our Dev Summit episode, was featured in there, and we're really happy to have him back for a full-length episode. So, Levi, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So just to get started, um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm a GIS specialist for Portland Public Schools in Portland, Oregon. And um, I have been working in the field for about seven and a half years at this point. And always with uh, the Portland Public Schools? No, this is my second job. My first job was uh, with a, a weather and climate analysis company out of Tennessee. Interesting. Was that also GIS related? Mm-hmm. I did some web GIS stuff for them. Very cool. Did you go to school for GIS or is it something that you got into later on in your career or? I, yeah, I went back to school um, in my late twenties and um, discovered that I could become a geographer, which was exciting to me because when I was a little kid, I collected um, National Geographic maps and I went to the the Idaho State Geography Bee when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> this is before I got into playing music and recording. So I thought, oh, okay, that'll be a fun, similarly creative sort of career. And so I went and got a GIS certificate and then a Bachelor of Geography. Did you win the State Geography <laughs> Bee? <laughs> uh, I I think I <laughs> I think I placed somewhere, but I don't know. I don't know that. I don't remember, but I did definitely didn't win. I definitely didn't get first place, but I met the governor. So wow. It's still pretty was, impressive. I mean, the yeah. fact that you even got to the, the state level, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that I came full circle for you with getting a GIS certificate. <laughs> exactly. And now working it, in the GIS. It was foretold. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's funny when someone explained to me what GIS was when I was first going back to school, I thought, oh, that's, that's amazing. I didn't think there were still geographers, you know, so. I feel like that's like a lot of people's reaction, whether or not you're in school for one thing and then you yeah. take one GIS class and it's like, oh, wait, this can be applied to everything essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never too late to get involved with it, which is is really cool. Yeah, I don't think people really realize like how pervasive it is throughout our culture and sciences and everything. So what do you do in your current role at at Portland Public School Systems. I um I manage the district's geospatial data, which is mostly focused on facilities like facility floor plans and site data. But I also maintain the school attendance boundaries, um, which we're actually going through a huge reorganization of those boundaries in southeast Portland, where I live um, right now. So that's very political and controversial. And fortunately, I just Put the lines where the school board tells me to put them <laughs> and uh, you know make fun little web apps for people to find you know what school their kids gonna go to so I don't have to deal with the 
thornier stuff. Yeah, I remember when I was in elementary school, I went to the same school for through the third grade, I and mean, then there was a huge rezoning in the town. Mm-hmm. It, it stirred up quite the storm for oh, sure. Yeah. So I definitely understand the politics behind that. Yes, it's wild. In fact, I actually just printed out some gigantic maps of the proposed changes for my area. And today, in fact, they're they're doing a public outreach session at the high school closest to my house with those maps. So so I get to do stuff like that that the public sees and help people understand why we're moving something where we are or keeping something the same, you know. Definitely. And I think that's a really interesting example, too, of how people don't realize that GIS and geography is used. Because like when mm-hmm. I was in elementary school, my parents were probably seeing similar maps. You don't think about, well, who's the person behind that map? What's yeah. the data behind that map? So it really is, is super pervasive. Yeah. And it's funny, too. We, we often look back at, you know, the edges of our boundaries. Um, there's all these strange little like cutouts where it's like this one house, it's going due north. And then there's this one house that juts out and goes right around that oh. house in, in the other city that's not Portland. And it's like, who made that change? And yeah. Why? You know? So it's, you know, it's a, it's a strange process, but I'm, I'm glad to be able to, you know, help people understand. Definitely. I feel like a big thing in any school district is how can you make that information accessible to parents? You want to make sure they know what's going on with their kids and, and really just how can that information be best represented? And oftentimes that is a map, for example, in this, in this situation. Yeah. And I designed our, um, we call it our school finder and it's, I used a, um, an Esri, we had this package of, of apps called solutions. It was like government solutions a while ago. And I, I grabbed one of those and, and used the template to make our school finder. So people can type in their address and it'll say, your child's going to go to this elementary school, this middle school, and this high school. They can see the different boundaries and facilities in that app. So Levi, you gave a really great presentation at Dev Summit um, in March that talked about how you use Survey123 field maps and insights um, Mm -hmm. to manage custodial work in the Portland public school system. Could you talk a little bit more about that project and what that entailed? Uh, Yes. Um, Right at the beginning of COVID, when we went into lockdown, um, obviously there was a lot happening. And one of the things that the district realized was that we didn't have any data about the schools being cleaned and we needed to start gathering that sort of data to, you know, figure out operationally what to do, what needed to be done, and also be able to eventually share that data with the public to say, hey, we're reopening schools and this is what's been cleaned and this is either these are the procedures we're following and here's the data. And so we were tasked with figuring out a solution for that. And I had played around with Collector in our in our test server environment. And then I saw that field maps was coming along. So I started working with that in beta and we used that as a a test case to be able to upgrade our standalone GIS server to a full enterprise stack because we would need, you know, nearly a hundred custodians signing into this every day. And we didn't really have the infrastructure for that at that point. So simultaneously we had to develop this, uh, these two apps using field maps and survey one, two, three, and set up our GIS enterprise to, to host it. And we got that done in a 
period of less than four months at oh. the end at the end of 2020 and we put it into production in January of 21 so we've been gathering data at most of our sites since then we have like I said we have nearly 100 sites I think we have 95 active schools and other you know administrative sites that we're uh, gathering surveys every day and how did that process look like of managing those sites and monitoring cleaning before using GIS was it paper-based form? Was it just in people's I'm, head? <laughs> I, I think the latter. A uh, big problem with the district and, and any, you know, um, government agency is that a lot of data just lives in somebody's head or in an Excel sheet or something, and we just didn't have anything. And, you know, we pitched this as sort of like we could accomplish this goal, but we could do a lot of other things with this infrastructure down the road gathering data, starting to centralize data, because one big problem that we have also is that different departments in the district have different um, systems of record regarding our sites. And we're, we've been also working the past year to really reconcile that and get our systems talking to each other and trying to get everything centralized at least, or at least some of it centralized in the GIS. And, and that's been going pretty well, but I think COVID shined a bright light on those issues and also opened up an opportunity for us to like actually fix it because you know we're getting federal government you know covid rescue funds and we're able to kind of um set up different solutions so that was that was it was hard of course but it was also really exciting yeah it's it's one of those things where i mean innovation was as much of a, a factor that came with COVID as, as much as anything else. Like you don't want yeah. something like that to happen to be able to propel mm -hmm. you forward like that, but you're not thinking about keeping track of cleaning data. No one was thinking about what contact tracing was before social right. distancing, but when we were, were forced to, and it's incredibly impressive that by January, 2021, you were up and running with this solution. Exactly. You know, you make these decisions <laughs> that then kind of push you forward. Yeah, it was kind of unprecedented. Um, because, you know, in a public agency, things don't usually happen. Yeah, so <laughs> that's was, what I was thinking. It was very exciting. Wow. And, and also the, the best part of it is that we, we put it online and then we heard nothing, mm -hmm. meaning it was just working perfectly and we had no, no issues for a long time. The only wow. issues we've had are revolve around like, you know, uh, field maps updates pushed out to the, to the app store. The, oftentimes custodians will get logged out and then they'll have trouble logging back in. That's one gotcha. Of the, and then you kind of have the wrinkles we faced. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Could so could we talk about maybe the specific workflow? So using field maps and survey one, two, three to to keep track of this data. What does that look like if you know I'm the custodian with my mobile device? What am I doing mm -hmm. in the classroom with those apps? So a big part of my position is um, taking our floor plans from CAD, which is um, managed in a IBM Tririga database system, taking that uh, CAD data from our specialist and converting it to GIS. And so then I'm able to make web maps with those floor plans um, and the custodians can call it up in field maps and it's floor aware so they can choose, you know, which floor they're on and then locate themselves in the room that they're in, click on the room, some of that Tririga database data comes up in the pop-up and then they click a hyperlink, which passes that Tririga data into survey one, two, three. So the custodian then 
doesn't have to fill out anything to do with the room. They just fill out their name and start doing their checklist and then they can submit it. That's what the workflow looks like now. So are they getting data about, um, they're getting data about classroom cleanliness. And is that like just very specific to like this area of the classroom has been cleaned up or is it more general about like this room was just done and so we're going on to the next room. Um, what are the specifics of that data? Um, well, first they choose what type of room it is, whether it's a classroom or an office or storage or whatever. And then they score it based on the Association of Physical Plant Administrators standards also called APA scores. So they, they choose an APA score and those are level one is orderly spotly, spotlessness, orderly spotlessness, which basically I've been told by the people who run the custodial department, that's like clean room, like surgery center, like, you know, microchip manufacturing level clean. So totally not real world applicable. Level two is ordinary tidiness and level three is casual inattention. So I think right at the beginning, they said that most rooms were about level three and they were trying to get it to level two, ordinary tidiness, which is like, there might be a couple days of dust, some streaks and everything is clean. But, you know, if you look really hard, you might see some things that need to be touched up. So that's kind of what they were going for. So they choose those scores. And then based on that, a bunch of checklists come up as to what, what has been done, what needs to be done. And since these are head custodians, they're saying, you know, how many, how many of their team are actually at work, you know, and who's done what, and they can keep track of all that. And then the supervisors for each school cluster can bring this data into insights and kind of see charts and graphs about, you know, how a particular site looks or how a particular head custodian is doing conversely. You mentioned that there are it was a team of about a hundred custodians. So what was that process like teaching um, a group of that size to use this app, uh, especially during a pandemic? Yeah, that was challenging. Um, we broke them into groups of maybe 15 or 20 and um, trained them all at one of our high schools. Um, and we were, of course, all masked because this was before any vaccines were available. So yeah. And I sat in on one of those trainings and helped out. And that seemed to work okay. But we've, you know, a couple of times we've had to do some refreshers because, you know, like I said, the app will get changed and the new version will push out and things will change slightly. So we'll kind of have to re readjust how we're doing things. Were there any, I guess, aside from being signed out and, and kind of figuring out how to sign back into to the portal or whatever, were there any particular pain points outside of that that you ran into? I think the biggest trouble is that it's two different apps and, yeah. and that's a lot to ask of even, you know, someone who does a lot of field work or, or is, you know, pretty comfortable using apps because you have to remember to go back and forth. And if you don't submit the survey right away, there's a bug with survey one, two, three, that it won't let you submit any other surveys if there's one that hasn't been submitted. So things like that have been kind of challenging you know, and our custodians, um, you know, just like the general public, they have a different, you know, different levels of tech savviness. And it's a lot to ask of people to like, oh, here's two apps to use to do this thing that you may have never done before, or maybe you just wrote down, you know, so, so that's been a little challenging. And thinking back about the data, since this was kind of an unprecedented 
uh, project that you know wasn't implemented until the pandemic. Were there any interesting insights or conclusions that you got back um, after this work started that kind of informed um, some of your your projects or your work going forward? Well, I know that um, the data that we gathered for the first six months or so um, it showed that we were chronically understaffed and the maintenance department was able to use that to justify filling 60 unfilled custodial positions. So that was a really concrete um, outcome from gathering yeah. this data that we weren't really expecting. We, Because we went into it not really knowing what they were going to do with the data, and they didn't really know what they were going to do with the data. It was mostly just you know, from up high, like, we need to start collecting data on this stuff. We need to have this data. Okay, well, then what are we going to do with it? So that's led to some, some interesting outcomes. Definitely. And I think it really just puts a spotlight on how critical this work is that facility teams and custodians do. And it's when it when you are understaffed like that, you can't kind of meet the needs of, of the schools and, and of the district that, that are being asked of you. So that's awesome that you were able to use it to, to get those spots open. You mentioned one challenge being that um, it was kind of difficult to train uh, custodial staff to work with two apps. Mm -hmm. How do you see this kind of project evolving going forward? Are you hoping to potentially put it onto one app or what are some ideas around that? I would very much like to just have this all happen in field maps. And it seems like that is possible now. Um, so I've started looking at that and starting to I'm starting to try to develop that. And um, I think that's the next step. Definitely. Yeah. So that way you're not, people aren't having to switch between the two. Mm -hmm. And because uh, I mean, I know that's even, you know, difficult yeah. for myself. If I, you know, you think about, okay, are you using a mobile device often in your life or are you using an iOS or Android most often? And then at your job, mm -hmm. you're forced to use a different one. Like if you handed me an Android today and told me to right. go between two apps, I probably <laughs> wouldn't be able to do it in a timely manner. So exactly. <laughs> and that, that was one of the things too, is we had to purchase a hundred iPads for the custodians. And I think some of them had never used an Apple device at all. So yeah. Um, because we're not we're not able to use Android devices at the district because apparently there was a lot of students were downloading you know games and whatnot <laughs> from the Google Play Store. As students so, do, right? So, yeah. yeah. So do. they just said no more Android district wide. Yeah. So we're all iOS, which is fine with me. But you know, if you haven't seen an iOS device before, it's it's, it's a, a big difference. Curve. Yeah. So yeah. in addition to having to use two apps, it's like here use this device that isn't might not be intuitive. You know? Yeah, and I think that makes sense. And the role of a custodian is already hard enough, hard mm -hmm. work. So yeah, definitely exactly. finding ways to make the process a little bit easier, um, definitely yeah. necessary, especially when it comes to keeping kids safe and keeping their environment clean and things like that. Yeah, and my colleague Sarah and I have spent a lot of time going out to different schools to help the custodians, you know, figure all this out because we understand like this is it's a big ask. So and they've been great. You know, once you can get there one on one, it's like, oh, yeah, it's this. OK, no big deal. So in addition to learning that you were understaffed, you also mentioned that you were going to publicize this data for the public uh, using some of the metrics that you learned about in ArcGIS Insights. Could you talk about what you learned from that perspective and how you went about sharing it with? Well, yeah, that was that wasn't a thought originally, but um, to my knowledge, this data has not been shared publicly yet. Got it. Um, I'm not sure 
if that's still part of the agenda, but you know, it's there. If people start asking, we can definitely spin something up on ArcGIS online and, and share it. Definitely. Know. And that's the important thing, right? It's like you have the history of it and mm -hmm. it's, exactly. it's being used. And if people are asking, hey, we want some like proof that this is happening. It's like, right. well, here you go. We have all of it right, right here. <laughs> exactly. And so even in, you know, you, you talked about evolving this workflow and how it can be uh, better in the future. This is something that you see you'll continue doing even as maybe the height of COVID mm -hmm. wanes a little bit. Yeah, it's become part of uh, the custodian's daily duties now. So yeah, I think it's it's less and less um, COVID focused, but it's it's important to, to continue the workflow, I think. Nice. Is developing a project like this within the education context, is that different than in your perspective, doing something similar within like another field, like, I don't know, utilities, for example, uh, are there different like, barriers to, to making things happen or I think compare. that's a good question. I think I think there will be going forward as we start branching out into other departments. Like, like I was saying, some of the work we're doing with transportation is going to involve um, safe routes to schools and like hazard zones um, for walking for students. And you know, eventually our goal is to be able to incorporate some student data into that. So there's going to be a level of, you know, security there that we have to consider mm. that we, we might not with something that's purely operational, like a custodial app. So, you know, like student privacy concerns. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can imagine, like you said, within a school context, you're kind of thinking more about children, mm -hmm. um, students. So there's always different considerations than when you're um, working within different fields. So it's always right. interesting how that also kind of affects your development process and about the questions that you're asking when going into a project as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And especially with the transportation and safe routes stuff, there's a lot of equity questions to look at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is another thing that like, if you start implementing these solutions might also spotlight some other issues that, that are around and maybe that can mm -hmm. lead to, to better allocation of resources in that regard as well. You know, when you start adding location and geography to the mix, that stuff sprouts up. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're definitely thinking about all of that as we, as we go along, we're still kind of in the early stages of all this, even though it's been about a year and a half, you know, we've gone yeah. back to, you know, things taking a while. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Well, Leva, I think that is about all the time we have to talk today, but this is really wonderful. Thank you for coming on a second episode of the podcast <laughs> to talk a little bit more in depth about you. the really great work that you've been doing. Um, we really appreciate you joining. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to talk to you guys. Thank you for listening to the Field Notes podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Field Notes on your favorite podcast streaming platform and make sure to join us on the next episode.